Welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm Marna Ashburn, joined by wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hey, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Good morning, everybody. On this show, we offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations. Our goal is to help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Since the podcast title is Ethics and Etiquette, today we're talking about a few complicated etiquette issues. The etiquette in our title means something different than which fork to use. Generally speaking, if you can reach for an etiquette manual on the bookshelf and find an answer to your question, that's not the kind of situation we talk about on this show. We prefer the tougher, murkier tangles where customs, courtesy, manners, and social norms brush up against moral and ethical behavior. That's the dialogue we're having today. Stick with us on that. But first, some listener email. Thanks for sending your feedback, by the way. We love it. Keep it up. This is from Drea. She writes, In your latest episode, you mentioned Whoopi Goldberg's statement about having the freedom to vote for who you want and believe what you want. With etiquette in mind, in the current volatile political climate, How do we best have respectful, positive political discussions? Mike, I'm going to let you go first on this one. It's kind of a tough one. Thanks, Marna. You know, I think that if we do not show some respect for other opinions and other ideas in this current political environment, we're all screwed, to be very blunt. Oh, really? Um, That's blunt? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, it's gotten to the point where the... You know, it's it's there. There is such a divide between different political camps. At least that's what we see, kind of in the national media. I, I don't think that applies in, for example, local politics. Uh, certainly doesn't apply in my hometown. But on a national level, things have become so polarized. I think we have to make a deliberate effort to learn about what the other side is holding as their opinion and where we can find some way to have a respectful discussion and just stay, try to stay away from all the, the, the hyperbole that just seems to infect the entire environment right now because it, it really does chip away at the foundations of our system. You know, our system is a, one which is based on compromise and nobody gets entirely their way all the time. I feel pretty passionately about this. And what do you think is the most important thing to think about when you're trying to have a respectful discussion. Keeping in mind that the person you're speaking with in most cases probably has the, you know, the ultimate goal that you do, which is to continue to exist in a civil society and in a functioning democracy. If they don't, and they clearly don't, you probably should end the conversation because I tell you, some people are pretty far gone at this point. But many, many people uh, may have a different opinion, a different outlook, but at the end of the day, they're kind of headed in the same direction as you are. And uh, I think you've got to look for those, those similarities. So highlight the similarities and try to diminish the differences. All right. Good advice. And Kelly, you were the one who used the anecdote from The View, Whoopi Goldberg's statement. Tell me what you think about what would you offer this listener? Well, first, I think it's a great question. Thank you, Drea. It really is thought-provoking. 
I just think we need to listen to each other. And, and I know I struggle with this, but we really need to try to listen to each other and hear what the other person is saying. I also like to ask a lot of questions and be curious about what other people have to say and why. I just think there's so much to learn and so much that others can offer you that can be so informative and helpful in your own life. So I just think it's important to keep that in mind. I also think confirmation bias is a big issue today. It's a big issue, and it's something we should be aware of, and I try to be aware of. And it really, and, it's and the Kelly, ten- what what is confirmation bias? Well, it's the tendency for people um, like me to embrace information that supports our own beliefs and reject information that contradicts with what we want to believe. So, for example, if you watch MSNBC all the time and you just, you know, and because that aligns with your political positions or your viewpoints and you refuse to read other types of positions or change the channel, um, it really can, you know, restrict and close off opportunities for learning and hearing what others have to say and hearing other folks' impressions. And and there's all sorts of studies and experiments on this. And um, so I just, I try to be mindful of that and try to really listen and learn from others. And it's amazing when you look at the studies, because I, I was kind of researching this before our call. And one of the most famous was a Stanford experiment And they brought in an equal number of students, half believed in capital punishment and and felt that it was appropriate and it was an excellent deterrent to serious crime. And the other half were anti-death penalty. And they presented them with compelling statistics and compelling um, information that supported both positions. And, And basically, this was all made up. You know, they made it absolutely equivalent and matching as far as the information and the statistics. And they had the students read it. And ironically, you know, the the pro-death penalty folks found the data highly credible and supportive of their positions and unconvincing (laughs) as to the um, anti-death penalty position. And then the anti-capital punishment found the same thing. So at the end of the experiment, those who were pro-capital punishment at the beginning were even more so after, you know, the study. And those who opposed capital punishment were even more hostile towards capital punishment after this study. So, I mean, this confirmation bias is real. Um, and it was the exact same data? It was the exact same data. I mean, apparently they had a number of um, Stanford professors and participants put it together. And, and so it was very, you know, it was designed to be objective and equally compelling on both sides. So I just, I think we have to be open and listen to others and take affirmative steps every day to avoid confirmation bias. So if you like to read the Washington Examiner, great. But you ought to be reading the Washington Post or the New York Times every other day. That's right. Um, You know, if you like to watch Fox News, that's great. But maybe uh, every other day you turn on CNN or MSNBC. You really got to make an effort to hear from others and viewpoints different than our own. Sounds like you and Mike are pretty much saying the same thing. And I'm going to say the same thing, too, in a different way. Last year, I went on campus to William and Mary to listen to uh, Secretary Gates and our president, college president, Catherine Rowe. 
They had a conversation titled, How to Disagree in a Civilized Way. And they both said the same thing, basically, which is seek first to understand. Understand the uh, the person you're talking to, their position. And this totally changed the way that I started having political conversations. I used to immediately go into an adversarial stance with whoever I was talking with. Instead, I started asking questions and saying, let me try to understand you and let me try to understand your position. Let me get to know you and what you think. And it has just changed everything for me. It's no longer volatile. It's discovery for me. I will even do what They taught us in marriage counseling, which is repeat back what I'm hearing you say. Okay, I'm hearing you say this, just to make sure I understand it. I'm engaging in discovery. If you do this, you might find that you have a lot more commonality with the person than you thought you had, or that was obvious in this current acrimonious climate. And like Mike said, you will probably agree on the ends, but the means are slightly different. The last thing I want to say is for social media, A lot of people will post divisive things on social media. I try not to do that, but I found that if I use cartoons that are funny but make a point, that seems to work best. You could call this satire. It takes the sting out. So if if you feel compelled to post on social media, hey, post an editorial cartoon (laughs) with a point, but it's funny. Thank you, Drea, for that email. Very good topic for especially this time, the day after Election Day. Now let's move on to our first etiquette dilemma. Every year, you get invited to a friend's New Year's Day party. The invitation is always included in the Christmas card. One year, you get a Christmas card, but no invitation. Should you call your friend about the missing invitation, or just assume you weren't included on the guest list this year? Kelly, what would you suggest? I wouldn't call her. I mean, you know, who knows what's going on? Maybe there's not a party um, this particular year. Maybe she's going to send a separate invite. Maybe she moved the date. I just don't think it's appropriate to call. I would just leave it alone. I mean, maybe you might find out what's going on from mutual friends, from shared friends. But even if you find out there is a party, it's not appropriate to call and be like, where's my invitation? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think you just let it go. I mean, you know, people move on and off of lists, and sometimes you're more in touch, you're less in touch. So just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a big deal. There are a couple things that keep coming up in our podcasts. One is respect, one is communication, and the other is let it go. (laughs) And this is one of those times where you just let it go. Mike, what do you think? You know, I think you have to look at the nature of the friendship. Is this somebody you care about? I mean, there are people clearly whom if you did not get an invitation, you know, it would would be you'd want to know. You you know, for the sake of the friendship, you kind of need to know. So you have to make that call. Is this somebody that you really care about, that you want to have an ongoing relationship with? And if so, then some sort of inquiry could be sort of uh, indirect, perhaps. But, you know, try to figure out what's going on and then approach it from that angle. It's, It's easy, but it's easy to also get stuck in ruts. Like, I've always gone to this party before. I've always been friends with this person And, you know, I think we all evolve over time. Our friend groups, our relationships evolve. And so you kind of got to weigh all of that and then see what you end up with in your your quick assessment of that whole thing. Well, you talked about inquiry. When I was mentioning this scenario to a friend of mine this past week, 
he suggested you call her and say, hey, I never got a Christmas card from you this year. Are you sending them out? <laughs> I said, oh, subterfuge. Okay, that's one way. <laughs> that's yeah, one that, way. that'll work. That's, that'll that work. seems a little un- underhanded. Well, so. <laughs> a little then, underhanded, yes. Then she's just going to send you the Christmas card without the invite. <laughs> Maybe <again>. so. <laughs> so let me tell you what happened. I didn't get invited to the, uh, I didn't get invitation, I should say that. And it just so happened that that was right after I had separated from my husband at the time. And my friend's husband and my estranged husband were friends. So I figured that he prob- my husband probably got the invitation and I didn't. So I didn't say anything. I just let it go. But the funny thing was, a couple weeks into January, my friend said, Hey, how come you didn't come to the party? And I said, well, I didn't get an invitation this year. Oh. No. She goes, no, I put it in the Christmas card. And I said, no, <laughs> there was no invitation. Ah, uh, bummer. <laughs> so after all that, it was it was just an oversight. But, yeah, I, you know, I did I did what I thought was right, was which is what Kelly suggested. I just let it go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best. I think that's the best approach. I mean, I don't get invited to a lot of things, so this problem doesn't come up <laughs> come for on, me. Come on, Kelly. <laughs> Come it's on. a fact. I don't worry. <laughs> Are you antisocial? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I want to be bad. social, but nobody wants to socialize with me. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Oh, dear. I know. With your oh, personality, I can't believe that. me. <laughs> Stick with us for more etiquette discussions right after this break. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're on to our second etiquette dilemma. Next-door neighbors on a cul-de-sac have yards which are separated by a border of trees, shrubs, and undergrowth. The trees provide shade and privacy for both yards. Neighbor A decides to clean out the trees and bushes because he wants to make his backyard bigger so his young kids can play ball out there. All the trees, etc., are on his property. One day, the work crew arrives with heavy equipment to tear everything out. Neighbor B, next door, runs out there to try and stop things. We have young children, says neighbor B. We need shade and privacy. A scene results, but the trees are still removed, and there is big-time resentment between the neighbors afterwards. Is it okay to change the character of another person's yard? What, if anything, could have been done to mitigate the conflict between these two neighbors? Mitigate or prevent? Mike, why don't you weigh in first? Okay, thanks, Marna. Um, Well, you know, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and be prepared to have it cut off, no pun intended, because I'm going to talk about the legality of this. um, Oh, wait a minute. not usually my role. We have a lawyer on this panel. I know, I know. (laughs) So that's why I'm going out on a limb. If the shrubs, undergrowth, trees are on one neighbor's property, they have every right legally, in my understanding, to do whatever they want with those. So they could cut it down, open things up, create more room, whatever they want to do, legally speaking. However, we all know there is a very clear relationship between two adjacent property owners, and they share some common interests, like the value of their adjacent properties. And sometimes a a well-maintained hedge or well-maintained trees can really increase the appeal of both properties. So there should be 
you know, especially if the homeowner who does not own the trees cares about them, that person should be talking to his or her neighbor and saying, hey, you know, maybe I can help you out with those uh, trees. Maybe we can do a little shared maintenance, but make it apparent that those are important to you. Again, we're back to the whole communication thing. Technically, the guy can take out the the hedge if he chooses to, but it really doesn't make for good relationships. So now I'm ready to hear the real lawyer talk about, uh, or the only lawyer on the panel, I should say, talk about what this uh, means, okay? Yeah, and, she, and she may want to talk about just the morals and ethics. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Role reversal. I <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's a lot of legal issues here. I, I mean, I think I would. what I would say is, of course, I agree with you, Mike, if it's your property, you can do what you like with it. Absolutely. But it is common courtesy to communicate and discuss it with your neighbor. Let your neighbor know what you're doing, what you're thinking, and why. I mean, I think that's common courtesy. Do you have to do it? You don't. But, I mean, one thing I'd say is, as, an, as a homeowner, you got to realize that if you choose to buy in a development, you're stuck with your neighbors, whomever they are, right? So if you don't like that, go buy yourself a lot of land if, if you're in a position to do so. So you don't have to worry about neighbors. If you, if you don't like to worry about what people are doing and how it impacts your property, get yourself a little bit more land. Or in the alternative, buy in a, in a neighborhood that has a homeowners association or an HOA, which, you know, the idea of an HOA is to not only take care of common areas, but also to protect the value of homes by having bylaws and rules so that the neighborhood stays in a certain condition and looks a certain way um, so that your your value is you know maintained and maybe even appreciated. I live in an HOA, and my husband and I joke about the HOA sometimes, but you know, it really does. The neighborhood is beautiful, and it really, it just maintains, and houses sell quickly. I mean, we have all sorts of rules. It's it's nutty. Like, we can hang Christmas lights, but they have to be white. Your garbage can can only go out, <laughs> really? you know, after 6 p.m., and, it, you know, you got to bring it right up after oh, the garbage yeah. man. <laughs> it's kind of autocratic. You know, <laughs> our windows have to have certain grills and a certain look. I mean, um, you know, if you've got wood rot, they're going to let you know, and they're going to ask you to take care of it. Your deck has to be painted certain colors. I mean, there's all sorts of rules, but the neighborhood is lovely. And we lived in an, in a, um, in an HOA in Virginia, and, you know, we found the same thing. Um, the neighborhood was beautiful, well cared for, our house sold easily. It was just a real positive. So I think, and you wouldn't have been able to cut down common areas you know, without permission of the HOA, you have to go before them for various types of landscaping. It depends on the HOA. But I would say if you're sensitive to those kinds of things, you should look to get yourself a little bit more land if you can afford it or get into an HOA so that you don't have to worry about these things. Or for example, like in Virginia, it wasn't uncommon. Like I should tell this story. I often shared with this great guy, very Southern, and he used to park his truck in the middle of the front lawn of our office. In the middle of the front lawn. I am not kidding. (laughs) He would go up the curb and park. I mean, I was horrified. I mean, we had a driveway, but that's the kind of stuff, and he did it at home, and that's how he's brought up. That's the kind of stuff you don't have to worry about with an HOA. So, you know, back to the tree situation, if I'm that owner B, you know, in a way, that's what I signed up for. Those trees are on the, the neighbor's property, 
and they can cut them down or do what they like with them. It would be nice for them to communicate with me and let me know, but they're not going to ask my permission. They might inform me. Right. You know, so there's just not a whole lot you can do. Well, I think that neighbor um, A was sure totally within his rights to do what he wants on his property. However, going back to what Mike says, these were neighbors of mine in another state. I feel like a lot of this conflict could have been avoided if they had t- talked as neighbors beforehand. And neighbor A said, this is what I like to do. And uh, neighbor B could have, in a very calm discussion, talked about their objections. And maybe they could have come up with some solution. Like one solution that was talked about was they would split the cost of a fence between the two yards. But after the altercation, there was so much bad blood that they weren't talking to each other and there was no agreeing or splitting anything. Right. But I mean, really, I think communication, and and I talked about it in Common Courtesy is important, and I, I know Mike does too, but probably neighbor B would have been really upset anyways. Yeah. Because neighbor A probably was going to take the trees down and do what they were going to do anyways. It's just a difficult situation. Well, neighbor problems happen. They, these two neighbors didn't have too much in common to begin with. But we've all lived in neighborhoods, and Mike and I have lived in you know military housing where you're, you're crammed in there with a whole bunch of people. And yeah, that's conflicts right. are just part of the deal. <laughs> all you can do is try to minimize them by yeah. talking. Yeah. All right, so I have a story I'd like to share, Marna and Kelly. And um, uh, I'm going to dedicate this to Kelly, though, okay? Are you ready? (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. How sweet. Okay, Okay, here we go. I'm afraid of what this is going to be, but go ahead. So here you go. Well, it, it follows this theme, okay? I'm just not coming out of the blue here. All right, so here's the story. Have you heard the one about the wall between heaven and hell? God and the devil made a deal that they would take turns maintaining the wall between heaven and hell. But when it was the devil's turn, God noticed that he was not bothering to maintain the wall at all. So God called the devil over to the wall and pointed out all of the cracks and other problems with the wall and told the devil that he was not performing his part of the agreement. The devil responded, So, what are you going to do about it? God said, I'll sue. And the devil said, Oh, yeah. And good luck trying to find a lawyer in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, very funny. (laughs) No offense taken, huh, Kelly? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's cute. I like that. So I okay. just, uh, I, I stumbled across this and I immediately thought of Kelly and it just tied yeah. in beautifully to our, you know, our hedgerow discussion, our trees <laughs> and shrubs and everything else, yeah. and good neighbors. And, you know, where I come from, we got lots of land and we've got, well, there is, you know, lots of farmland and stuff here. And, you know, everybody abides by the rule that good fences make good neighbors. So, yeah. Well, just as a follow up to this scenario, neighbor B ended up. They ended up selling the house and moving within like a year. And that was one of the reasons. They just just didn't care for the, the way the backyard morphed after all the trees were taken out. Anyway, makes sense. I like Mike's uh, funny story. Let's end on that. <laughs> <laughs> More answers to your etiquette questions after the break. We're back with the third etiquette dilemma. And Mike, I'm going to ask you to bear with me and make intuitive leaps 
when necessary on this scenario. Years ago, my regular hairstylist went on maternity leave. And while she was gone, I made appointments with a different stylist in the same shop. I liked the way the second stylist cut my hair better than my original stylist, and I wanted to keep going to the substitute. When my stylist comes back from maternity leave, how should I handle this awkward situation? Kelly, what would you do? Well, I would tell you, I don't know what I would do, because I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to something like that. But if it was, you know, (laughs) if I was giving you advice or one of my sister's advice, I'd say, go to who you want. Go to who you like. You're paying for a service. Go to who you're most happy with. End of story. But if I were in the situation, I would uh, I would agonize over it. And I don't know what I'd do because I would be worried that I was going to hurt the other person's feelings. And But ultimately, you need to go to who's best, especially since, you know, a stylist can be expensive. Yeah. So what would you do, Kelly? I mean, would you have... Uh... I don't know. But I, I like my hairstylist. So I don't see that as being an issue for She's me. She's not in, in danger of getting pregnant anytime soon? <laughs> no, I'm very confident that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, Mike? Well, you know, I know both of you consider me entirely unqualified to comment on this. But, you know, I would... That's not true. I would say I'm a man of the 21st century. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot going for me, but I do have some hair left. So, you know, I do try to take some care and get it properly cut and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I I can very much relate to this. Um, You know, having been in the military for many decades, I never really had a stylist or a a barber even. I just went and whoever had an open chair, you you jumped in the chair, right. (laughs) Anyhow, now that I'm out of the military, I do have a a gal who cuts my hair and uh it's really been a lot of fun you know because it's it's kind of like free therapy you know yeah <laughs> um, she loves to talk and uh we have the most amazing conversations unlike a dentist some dentists love to talk but it's really hard to engage a dentist in conversation <laughs> that's true um you know, so God bless those dentists. It's all these one-way conversations. They're just trying to, as you grunt back at them. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I I think, again, there's so many factors here. You know, my hair is pretty simple. It's not that hard. Um, so I, I think I have a lot of latitude in whom I choose. But I just, I enjoy going to uh, this one gal because it's always, it's always a highlight. You know, getting my hair cut is kind of fun. I'll leave it at that. So, but what would you say to the uh, patron who's agonizing over uh, leaving her stylist for another one? Oh, so, see, vanity is creeping in here. Um, <laughs> yeah, vanity, that's never to be underestimated. I would, I would stick with, the, assuming that, you know, it's, it's a reasonable haircut, either way, style, whatever. whatever. What, what, what do women call when it, this happens to their hair? They get their style. hair styled. Okay. Style, cut, color, whatever. Okay, okay. Not that I do that. Oh, okay. All right. I'm not asking, Marna. Um, So, um, you know, I would would stick with the one that you have the relationship with as long as the the product is is acceptable, you know. The substitute? No. The original? The original, yeah. Go Mm -hmm. back to the original. Yeah. Yeah. Those relationships my, are worth something. You know, if it's a, No, but your hair. I mean, <laughs> right, right. See, you this, like this your is... hair better with the other woman <laughs> or man. 
So I think you got to go with who does a better job on your okay. hair. All right. You, you All right. I'm not going to fall on my sword. Quality is important here. <laughs> You're and not going to fall I, on your sword? <laughs> I don't. I don't have. <laughs> and I don't have a story, Kelly. Okay. So you can <laughs> Thank put your God. down. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, Kelly's right. It is expensive to get your hair cut, colored, styled at the hairstylist. I've talked to people in the profession about this happening. And. Many, many, many of them have said, look, it happens all the time in our profession. We're used to it, and we don't take it personally. So especially if a stylist has been out on maternity leave or left one salon for another one, you lose customers. So, yeah, don't worry about it. That's what, what, that's what a couple of people told me. Uh, I have some doctors in my family, and they say the same thing. Oh, yeah, we, you know, patients leave our practice all the time to another doctor. We don't take it personally. Yeah, it's just, it, it's easy to switch doctors or, you know, if it's a different office, it's hard to go into the same salon and sit in a chair right next to the lady that used to do your hair. Yes. That's the challenge, I it think. It is. And Otherwise, switching providers is not hard, right? Right. And yeah, Mike, you said you become... That's a tough one if you're one chair over. Exactly, yeah. right. And um, you, Mike, you said you've become good friends with your hairstylist and I've become good friends with mine. I asked her this about this she recently came back from maternity leave. She lost some of her clients, and she, her feelings are kind of hurt because she's seeing her former clients in the same shop, getting the same procedure with the same result, and she's wondering, why are they not coming back to me? That's tough. There, That's tough. There is, there is some hard feelings. What I did when it happened to me is I, the, the substitute stylist uh, happened to be the owner and I talked to her about it and she said um, don't worry about it it'll be fine she understands but it does have the potential to be awkward you're right stick with us we'll be right back with some end notes welcome back we're at end notes now that part of the show where we like to leave you with something to think about for this coming week and I'm the only one with an end note it's something I noticed last week when I was traveling to Florida for a family reunion. And that involves letting people out of the elevator or out of the train or out of the subway or out of the bus before you try to board. Now, I noticed almost without exception, people trying, rushing on to the elevator or the shuttle or whatever without letting people exit first. Let the people exit first. It makes it so much easier for everybody that's a, that's a, the best rule to follow. Yeah, I would just encourage some of your Floridians to try that during <laughs> rush hour in New York City. Okay? Um, they're going to get counseled. I bet. Uh, perhaps physically. I yeah, mean, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it depends on the environment. I mean, but in, in highly uh, congested, you know, human environments like the subway in New York or subway in D.C., I mean, those protocols matter, and if people don't follow them, boy, oh boy, you know, they are they are in trouble. It's um, a great protocol to follow. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's what makes things work. I mean, it's not quite like Tokyo, where, you know, when you get on the subway in Tokyo um, and you're not quite in far enough, you literally have a subway attendant come and push you in the car so that the door can close. They're called subway packers. No and, way. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole idea of personal space in the Tokyo subway is um, is not what we are accustomed to. There is none 
and they That's literally a great job. They literally <laughs> jam people in, physically jam yeah. them in so that the doors will close. It's good um, for an angry person. You you have yeah, a lot of yeah. frustration, anger. You can just push people all day. Yeah. But I, I don't think we'll see that anytime soon in the United States. So I don't either. That's actually battery, but that's for another show. But I, I, I think I told you, Marna, um, recently my husband was visiting a family member in, um, in the Midwest and ha- had, had a funny incident. Um, my husband's 6'7", so he comes from big family, large people. Uh, <laughs> you know, tall and in the mid-200s weight-wise, 250, 260, around there. Um, and he had a family member who went square up right in front of that elevator you know like less than a foot away and he told me he he hollered at him because they're deaf and said hey are, are you from new york how's anybody supposed to get off the elevator hey whoa 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 this this you know you're casting aspersions on new york here i don't know if i'm good with that and his relative was like huh and you know he explained hey like <laughs> Nobody can get off the elevator. You're completely blocking it. And so, you know, with some help, she backed it on up. I mean, I just think sometimes people don't know any better. Yeah, I think know. so. I have been known to be sort of passive aggressive at times and just like a walk out of an elevator out of the center of the door and make myself real wide. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, that's got to be hard. Martha. Rather than yeah. flatten myself against the wall so the people can board before I've even gotten off. Yeah. That, just one of my little passive-aggressive things. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. Yeah, Marna. I bet traveling with you is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that doesn't, that really doesn't sound like you at all. Not our, not our Midwestern Indiana girl. Yeah. No. I can only take so much. What about you? Do you have a pressing etiquette question or some thoughts on today's show? Send us an email or leave a voicemail. You can do both on our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. We're also on Instagram, at Ethics Etiquette. That's all for this episode of Ethics and Etiquette. Thanks for joining Kelly, Mike, and me. We loved having you here. Join us next week for an all-new episode.